Nothing happens in the summer. Or does it? I'm out at the beach in Maine right now. You know I love the Hudson River, but there's just something about the sea. The smell, the sounds, the air. In the summer, I never liked being in the city. Too sticky, and in and out of air conditioning and heat. The subway was disgusting. The shade of tall buildings was helpful, but I can get that upstate with trees. Our house is surrounded by tree cover, which helps keep it cool, and has since 1847, when the house was built. Brian and I are in love with Maine, and this is our second summer coming out here along the coast. First, we were at Charming Bailey Island, an hour north of Portland, and now at the time of recording, we're at Popham Beach, one of the true, few, big, sandy beaches in Maine. There's a historic fort, Fort Popham, which was built to protect the shipbuilding town of Bath, City of Ships is its tagline, during the Civil War. At Bailey Island, we had a killer view of the water from our back porch. Our friends Adam and Jen came up at the beginning of the week and joined us for the ice cream social to support the local library. Midweek, we went out on a schooner for a two-hour sunset cruise. Then at the end of the week, Chris and Greg came over with their dogs, and we sat gripped again by the sunset. Sunset is our favorite thing. With its craggy, crazy geography and hearty, rugged people, Maine is really unique. Here at Popham Beach, we were talking to the manager at Spinney's, a restaurant on the water for lunch, having oysters, lobster rolls, and, and rosé, of course. Nora sat under the table in the shade. We chat with the manager about the restaurant's reopening, luckily for us the day before we got here, and about Maine, of course, and the Hudson Valley, where we're from. Just west across New Hampshire and Vermont, the Hudson Valley doesn't seem far, but it sounds far here. We learn from her that in Maine, when you're not from here, you're from away. I love that phrasing, from away. Mainers have their own language. There are other phrases like, all stove to hell. The car was so damaged, it was all stove to hell. And tighter than the bark on a tree. A good reminder that this is an outdoors culture. My favorite phrase, of course, is happier than a clam at high tide. I imagine the clams surfing the waves, getting far up the coast, maybe even to a seat at Spinney's. The closest thing in Mainer language to a city it is flatlanders, which I've also heard from Vermonters. It's someone raised at a low altitude. It's not a compliment. And then I asked the manager something I wondered about back in the Hudson Valley, something I researched for the Red Hook Daily Catch. How long before you're a Mainer? Was it eight or ten years like in the Hudson Valley? or getting your name on a street sign, or maybe never. Nope, she said, in Maine you're either born here or you're from away, even after 50 years. There is an exception, however. You can be from Maine after you, well, save a life. Oh. It's a new way of living and I'm trying to get used to it One park blues have an ounce of an idiot Ordered a Manhattan and they call me a city yet At first I hurt my feelings but it's kinda got a ring to it When you move to the country they can tell when you're new to it I'm looking at a place but I'm trying to keep fitting in It takes too long to be a local so for now I'm a city yet
I'm Matt Zucker, and this is City It, learning to live and love life in the Hudson Valley. Or Flatlanders, person from low altitude trying to fit in. I like the idea that you can be an insider one minute and an outsider the next. We drove more than 300 miles in our electric car. Yes, there are chargers along the way for a two-week vacation in Maine. Now, when you're away from home, you get nothing done, which is sort of the point. This term flatlanders is awesome, though. Some Maine slang dictionaries say it's intended more for people from Massachusetts, also called massholes, which would make sense comparing the hilly, rugged coastlines of Maine versus flatter Massachusetts, well, except out in the Berkshires. Hudson Valley is curvy, but not mountainous, until you get to the Catskills. I think the term works for us, too. I like the otherness of it. I'm from away. I'm a flatlander, visiting here, your beautiful state, Maine. Brian has learned to shuck oysters. I've been busy doing nothing. I finished the new David Sedaris book, Happy Go Lucky, and I'm now reading Woods Queer, about two women homesteading in the backwoods of Maine on their own. I'm learning too much about them being busy and productive in the woods, the goat fences they built and electrified multiple times. They do nearly everything themselves, too, which of course made me think of that to-do list I started months ago. Remember that? Excited to share that Hudson Valley Kitchen Design Center, an area expert for kitchens, bathrooms, pantries, offices, closets, and yes, even home movie theaters, is now a sponsor of Cityit. Now, when you've got a room to rethink, refresh, or reimagine, you know who to call. For Cityit listeners, just mention the podcast to save $500 off a project of $5,000 or more. See recent projects and fun on Instagram, HV Kitchen Design Center. Visit their site at hvkitchendesign.com or call 845-615-9410 about a consultation. Links also from cityat.com. Thanks, Hudson Valley Kitchen Design Center. I can already feel Brian dialing your number. Now back to the show. Back in episode 66, I talked about spring to-do lists, including ours, Robinson's at Greg Farm, and a few from listeners like you. Brian and I have made some progress. The two new structures we had built last year have finally been painted. In country talk, or in the willywax as Mainers might say, they're called outbuildings. One outbuilding was a little shed we had constructed for the garbage cans to free up space in the garage when we got that second car. It's a cedar wood structure on a supported platform with doors. It's very cute. The second structure is in the back garden, a gardening shed. It's much bigger and can fit all of Ryan's gardening crap plus extra chairs and other things that we don't have a full basement for. It's the same design in cedar as the other structure, built in a day by these guys who, well, build structures in a day. These two outbuildings stayed unpainted for a year, not because we were lazy, but because we were told it's good to let the wood age. Well, finally, thanks to two guys referred to us by our friend Tom, now they're a handsome gray like the trim on the other buildings and the fence. We had originally planned on doing black like the house, studio, and garage, but then Brian and the guys realized matching the trim would look better and more appropriate to what those structures are. While they were here, they also restained the studio and painted the piping from the mini splits on the exterior of the house. When we had those six mini splits installed for AC and heat, there's all this white piping on the exterior of the house leading to the outdoor compressors. It was kind of ugly when they installed it, but we were told we can paint the piping, so we did. These we did black like the house to blend in versus gray trim, which would stand out and scream, hey, look at the mini splits that we put in. 
I liked the guys who did all this work. I brought them coffee. I chatted with them. They started to power wash the back deck when they told Brian, hey, could you pay us today? Brian said, sure, but why? Oh, we're not coming back tomorrow. We need to go to Arizona, but we'll be back in August. Well, what about fixing the rest of the deck, the broken lattice skirt, and a half a dozen other small jobs we've been aching to get taken care of? Oh, we'll be back to do them then. Bye. Sidiots, I think we're getting used to this. Well, we were getting used to people not showing up and not following through, but leaving in the middle of the job? It happened during the fence painting, when they basically never came back, and half our fence was gray and half was green for six months until we could find a new person. Some of you are thinking, guys, just do it yourself. I know. I think about that sometimes. There are YouTube videos. I have hands. Admittedly, working from home, we also have a little bit of time. We could do some of this. Flatlanders aren't necessarily all idiots. Am I a moron, or do I just lack confidence? Brian figured out how to change the water filter himself so we can stop calling the plumber every other month for it. And I do change light bulbs when they go out. What we can't do is what's left. Chop the trees down in the creek or lay the brickwork to create a tiny piazza on the lawn with the leftover bricks from the walkway we ripped up last year. I asked Brian why we don't do anything. At first he said we were stupid, but then I said we're not stupid. He then clarified that we lacked the skill and the hard wiring for it. It wasn't passed down to us. This was a huge relief. It's great when you can blame your parents. The good news is the guy who went to Arizona came back early and showed up last week. He did a second coat on the studio and was there when we left working on the porch skirt. Yes, it's called a skirt. If you want real progress, though, why don't we check in on Robinson and what's happening over at Greg Farm? After all, last we heard it was strawberry packing season, and I'm sure you saw that Greg Farm just won Best You Pick in the Chronogrammy's Reader Choice Awards. Let's hear what he's up to. Hey, Matt. I just re-listened to the recording that I sent to you back in April, and if the theme of that first recording was all about season prep and planting, the theme of this recording is certainly all about harvesting. Back in April, we were focused on working ground so that we could plant a new patch of strawberries that we would harvest next year. But now, much of our focus lately has been harvesting this year's strawberries. We've had a bit of a cooler June, so the berry size was a little bit smaller than it has been in the past. But, you know, I think the small berries are often the sweetest ones, so it's been a smaller crop overall, but berries have just been delicious this year. We're in that lull right now between the very tail end of strawberry picking and the earliest of blueberry picking. We just picked the first couple of quarts of blueberries earlier this week. And like all of the seasons, the picking kind of sneaks up on you. So picking feels pretty sparse right now. You know, you have to walk a few steps between each bush and where you'll find just a berry or two. But with some 80 degree and 90 degree weather coming up, the berries will all ripen pretty quickly, and I think we'll have pretty excellent picking this weekend. Similarly, I think in the first recording, we were talking about doing quite a bit of transplanting of vegetable starts from the greenhouse out into the garden. Now we're doing quite a bit of harvesting from the garden. So just today, actually, we picked some beautiful scallions and lettuce and kale and radishes and parsley. That's all going into our CSA and to our farm market and to a few local restaurants and small grocery stores. We've got some carrots coming up, DTO, several other just beautiful vegetables. It's just amazing what's coming out of the garden right now. Uh, the animals, of course, always need some attention. We have successfully moved the pigs 
to new pasture a couple of times already this summer. We've been moving them from a small section to small section of a woodlot on the north edge of the farm that's just become overgrown with vines and briars and poison ivy and thorns and all sorts of stuff that makes it kind of hard to traverse that. So we're working with the pigs to clear out that land a bit, open up the canopy a little bit, but we're also being careful about not letting them overwork the ground too much, which is why we're moving them every couple of weeks. We have a new batch of piglets that are arriving on the farm next week. They're gonna start in the same small pen that the last batch started in, which has become overgrown again by, you guessed it, vines and thorns and all that sort of stuff that the pigs won't touch. So we just moved a few goats from the main herd out to this pen where I'm I'm standing out here with the goats right now, just seeing what they're up to. So hopefully the goats will be here for a week or 10 days or so before the pigs arrive and, and they'll help clean out some of the vines and some of the foliage along the fence line here before I have to come back through with the weed water to, to clean it up so that we can get the electric going on here again. The chickens, last time around, we were talking about moving them into the goat pen. That's all gone rather smoothly. The goats and the chickens seem to be getting along well and they seem to be benefiting from each other's presence, I think. The chickens have gotten a little bit, maybe too brave though. They've started to jump out of the enclosure and have pestered the occasional person trying to have their lunch nearby and, and try to steal a fry or two from them. So that's, that's sort of a, a new challenge that we're trying to figure out how to solve. But now the thing that we're trying to figure out with the chickens is when we should expect the first eggs from them. I have my money on late July, but I think a few others on the team here seem to think that the chickens will lay uh, their eggs sooner. Of course, we'll just get pullet eggs to start, which are a little bit smaller in size. But I think once we have a steady stream of eggs from those chickens, we may bring breakfast back on the menu at the market, which I know a lot of folks have been asking about. I think that might be it for now, at least until something pops up, which it always tends to happen around here. Anyway, thanks, Matt. Catch you later. Thanks, Robinson. I'm either inspired or intimidated by your list also on everyone's summer list, though, is enjoyment and culture. If you love art, you won't want to miss the third Upstate Art Weekend, July 22nd to 24th, all across the region. More than 100 exhibitions and projects will be on view. Plus, over 50 artists will open up their studios to the public, which is new in 2022. In terms of scale and size, we're talking about a three-day self-directed event across Columbia, Delaware, Dutchess, Green, Orange, Putnam, Sullivan, and Ulster Counties. You'll find more info at upstateartweekend.org, and there's a link to also curate your own Google map across all the participants. Thank you for listening to City Hit. City Hit won a chronogram again for regional podcast, this time for runner-up. You know how I feel about awards. I'm happy to come even in second. And to have all these listeners, supporters, and the show growing the way it's been, well, as they say in Maine, it makes me happier than a clam at high tide. Come visit. Down in the valley moved up from the city, it's a new way of living.
living and I'm trying to get used to it. One park was half an ounce of an idiot. Ordered a Manhattan and they call me a city. Yeah. And it first hurt my feelings, but it's kind of got a ring to it. When you move to the country, they can tell when you're new to it. I'm looking at a place, but I'm trying to keep fitting in. It takes too long to be a local, so for now, I'm a city. Yeah. Upstate and chill.